Well, it's wonderful to be here this morning. Uh, we've been here for a little over an hour in, uh, with you guys here, and already our hearts are enlarged and our vision expanded, and um, it's just so wonderful to, uh, to, to be back here with you. Uh, and just as, uh, just as I kick off, I just want to send love and blessings from the people at Westgate Vineyard in the inner, inner west of Melbourne. Uh, we, uh, they were looking forward to us getting away. A long, cold winter in Melbourne has, uh, hasn't always been easy for us. Uh, you know, I used to suck a lot about the cold when I was here, let alone, uh, let alone down there. So, uh, and uh, we, it's been wonderful to actually, you know, flip the pluggers on. It's the first time I've had, well, I don't have them on now because, I, uh, yeah, no, they, that's the way I've always done things here. You walk in and you flip them off underneath the chair and off we go. But it's so wonderful to see so many familiar faces and so many new faces as well. And, uh, and it's just wonderful for us to, to be here. We feel honoured and privileged to, uh, to call you all family. And uh, it's good to be back. I just wanted to kick off this morning by sharing something with you uh, that actually happened for me yesterday. And uh, as we were, uh, we drove up, uh, Nay and I, the girls, and our new dog, Bear, a uh, little Kelpie pup, and we, we drove up and uh, we did it over two days. And as we, uh, as we got into, uh, over the gateway, uh, we got stuck in a cracking storm. Uh, I could barely see in front of me and it was... I knew I was home. And uh, <laughs> as we got closer to my parents' place uh, in Petrie there, you know, I started to get flooded with all sorts of memories. Uh, and I had my window down and just the smells, <laughs> you know, not the smells bad, but, you know, just the, just the, the smells <laughs> and the warmth in the air. Uh, and, um, and we got back, uh, we got into mum and dad's there and, and got unpacked and and I was just like, you know what, I, I've got to go for a run. I just need to, I need to go for a run. I've been sitting in a car for two days and, and I need to go for a run. And I, I, I ran out the door, I got myself organised. I ran out the door and, uh, and ran my run. The run that I have literally run, I worked it out today, it would be over 5,000 times I've run that run. And, uh, and I ran it again yesterday, yesterday afternoon. There was another big monster storm coming and uh, I was so excited. And, uh, and I got out the door and I started to run. And, uh, and all of a sudden, as I was running, the, just the reality of where I was I'm going to try and hold this together. The fact that I was home, uh, the, the memories as I ran past houses where childhood friends used to live, as I ran up Rue Montaigne and uh, got to the top of the hill there and seen, uh, we used to call him Mr. Perfect. He's got this manicured lawn and it's still manicured perfectly. Uh, as I ran past the lake and, uh, and the smells uh, and then it started to rain and rain and it was heavy and it was strong and it was warm. <laughs> and I was soaking wet and I was just soaking it up. And I got to the top of my parents live at the top of French's Road uh, in Petrie there. And I, 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 hit the, I hit the bottom of French's Road and all of a sudden and just took off and, uh, and, and got to the top. And as I got to the top, I just stood on my parents' driveway and I opened up my mouth and just sat and soaked up the rain for a little bit and then all of a sudden I just started to, the Spirit of God started to stir in my heart 
And, uh, and I said, Lord, bless this town. Bless this town. Bless it. Raise up a people in this town who will be, who'll be ministers of the gospel, of the good news that God is good, that he loves us. And just people with outrageous grace and, and with extravagant hope would reach out into the community uh, that in times of abundance and times of absence, that they would continue to, to stretch out and reach out into the community. And, uh, and as I was just standing, I had my, both my hands out, just soaking it up. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, as, as, I, as I was just pouring out my heart before the Lord for this town, and, uh, and as I was kind of standing there, I realized I kind of looked a little bit like Jared Hayne a couple of weeks ago. You know, this is my town, you know, but... I wasn't quite, wasn't quite at that place, but you know, it was, as I was standing there and as I got to the end of that and even though I was soaking wet, there were some tears coming down my eyes too and, um, and then all of a sudden I, I, just, I stopped and I went to turn around to go, go into the house and this almighty clap of thunder went off and it was like the Lord was just saying, Amen, Amen, that he would raise up a people in this place that would love it outrageously and that would love its people. And I walk in here and so good that the doors would be open. That's the kingdom right there. And um, I was just a bit overwhelmed for a little bit and still am. And even as we walked in here. And so I want to encourage you and call you out and say, stretch out, reach out. Reach into the community because things like this and beyond will happen. And I'm going to expand a little bit on that this morning. And it's, uh, it's amazing to me that uh, I love the way God works because uh, in the craziness of the, the week, uh, we've got a, a new thing starting at, at Westgate Vineyard that just took up a whole bunch of my time the week coming, leading us to, uh, to come up here. And, uh, and I didn't even get a chance to call Kirk and just go, hey, this is what's stirring on my heart. Do you think it fits? And, uh, and anyways, I walk in here and we, we have a brief conversation. And, uh, oh, there it is. Uh, kingdom life is an expansive life. And he goes, oh, that's what I was banging on about last week. And I said, that's what I've been banging on for three months about. So that's perfect. Uh, and so this morning, I just want to uh, spend a little bit of time looking at that. What does it look like to live a kingdom life uh, that is expansive by nature, because if we're going to live a kingdom life by nature and uh, by definition, that's an expansive reality. And so I just want to unpack that a little bit for you and just see what, uh, see what the Lord does with that. But uh, before we do that, let's get a little interactive. I just want to ask you, and I'll start with a really, really easy one, because we've just kind of trekked that a little bit. What would it look like if the kingdom of God broke through into a school? What would it look like? I'm asking a question, sorry. Shout it out. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to break out in a school? Uniforms get, get bought. Yeah. All right, let's start with a different... Sorry, somebody said something? Unlimited community. All right. Okay, that sounds good. So good. So good. And what would it look like if the kingdom of God broke out in your workplace? What would it, the photocopier works. Hey. Amen. 
Messy? It look messy. Healthy families. I love it. I love it. The what, sorry? Lives changed. What would the kingdom of God look like if it was to break through in your street? In your street where you live? Pardon? No hooning? There might be more hooning. Uh, <laughs> sorry? Sorry, I'm going a bit deaf. Conversations over the fence. I love it. No domestic violence. Amen. That's right. You know, I, there's something that, uh, that I, I, I want to let you guys know. It's already happening. The kingdom of God, and that's such a beautiful example of that. I'm kind of preaching to the choir a little bit, I guess. But the, the kingdom of God is already breaking through. Uh, it's already breaking through all around us. The kingdom is constantly breaking through because of the reality that the kingdom of God is an expansive, dynamic force. We're talking about, if we go right back to the basics of what the kingdom is, it's the dynamic rule and reign of God. It's not a place or a thing. It's, it's God actively moving. And, uh, and, you know, he's not restricted to this building. He's not restricted to this funny group of people in the earth called the church. He's not restricted to that at all. And if the church won't do it, he'll just do it anyways. His kingdom is breaking in all over the place. He is wholeheartedly committed to that. Uh, and this shouldn't be surprising to us because the first three parables that Jesus begins to expand on what is the kingdom of God, when he says what the kingdom of God is like, all three, the first three of those are all expansive in nature. The sower, the sower plants and it grows. There's an expansive reality to that. The mustard seed, same thing. He plants it and it expands. There's an expansive nature to the kingdom. Uh, he also calls it like yeast. You know, you ever put yeast in something? You know, we cook like pizza dough at home and it's, if you don't look after that thing, it just keeps on going. It just gets into everything. And the kingdom of God is constantly breaking through because it's expansive in nature. And so for us, if we're truly going to be kingdom people, then our perspective of the kingdom needs to be an expansive one. And our response, therefore, needs to be one that lives beyond ourselves, seeking to supply the destiny of the people around us, rewriting the stories, rewriting stories of hopelessness, rewriting stories of, of depression, rewriting stories uh, of, of, uh, of poverty, and rewriting those stories with the generous rule and reign of the Father that brings life, hope, and joy. We sung it this morning. And in us, with us, as God is already doing that, we get to partner with Him in doing that. That's our joy, and, uh, and that's the wonder for us. It's, it's amazing to me. There's a reason that they call them signs and wonders. Not because they come with a power surge, but because when it happens, you go, how on earth did that just happen? What, what, what was that? It leaves you more confused than anything. I know it does for me. But this morning, I want to look at two things. I want to look at that perspective of the kingdom, how our perspective of the kingdom actually shapes how we respond in, in different situations that we find ourselves in. And if we have a perspective of the kingdom of God uh, that is restricted even to 
the church or a church building, the gathering of the saints. Now, we need more life-giving gathered environments like this. We need more Holy Spirit-filled gatherings like this. But if that's the limit of the, the, the goal of the Christian life, that's fine, but it's just so, it's too far, it's too low a goal. It's just too low a goal. Jesus said to go into all the nations and disciple them. The kingdom of God is so expansive that it's going out into nations. Now, for, for, for you guys, that means this area of Pine Rivers in the greater Morden Bay region. That's your nation. That's your nation. And so part of me in sharing this this morning has an extremely vested interest in that because I love this town. I love this town. I grew up in this town. I love it. And I'm calling you to love it too. That's not a choice. (laughs) You can't not love something Jesus loves. And he loves this town. And he is already bringing his kingdom and it's already breaking through. So I want to talk a little bit about perspective. Now, if you've been around the vineyard for a little while, uh, you would be familiar with words like worldview that guys like Chuck Craft uh, came up with uh, or words like paradigm of the kingdom. Uh, They're all good words. Uh, I like to try and keep things a little bit simple though. And so I'm just going to talk about the perspective of the kingdom uh, and how our perspective of the kingdom really shapes who we are and, uh, and what we do. So, because the way that uh, the way we live an expansive kingdom life that lives beyond ourselves, seeking to supply the destiny of others and rewriting the story of those around us, giving hope, it's rooted in a perspective, and that perspective rests in a person, and that's the person of Jesus, and namely in His ascension. Now, that's not to to downplay, obviously, uh, the uh, His death and His resurrection. But one thing we, we tend to do is we tend to zero in on his death and his resurrection and forget the fact that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that's where he now rules and reigns with absolute power. And it's his ascension for us today in this place as we live life this side of the cross between the, king, between the kingdom coming, between uh, the kingdom breaking through for the first time and the time that it will be finally finished and everything's all over. It's his ascension that is primarily central and important for us as we go to live this, this, this kingdom life. So what I want to do, I'm going to look at a couple of different scriptures this morning. The first one I want to have a look at is, uh, is in Acts 2, verse 32 to 33. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you're going to use, if you open up to Acts 2, verse 32, and uh, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Uh, But before you do that, actually, if you've got them open, that's okay. Uh, Ephesians 4.10 is where you're going. So if you want to put your finger in Ephesians 4.10, that would be good. But we're going to start in Acts 2, verses 32 to 33. So this is is the story of Pentecost. And uh, the story of Pentecost, uh, not quite the birth of the church, but certainly where the Holy Spirit was released into the church. Uh, And Peter... Uh, gets up after God is doing all of this wonderful stuff and he says this. Now I'm reading out of the ESV. Uh, that's the extra spiritual version because I need all the help I can get. If you're reading out of a different version, I'm sorry. Um, it's the wrong version. But no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, 
the ESV. So starting there in, in verse 32. Peter, in explaining what's going on as the day of Pentecost is unfolding, he, uh, he explains it this way. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter, in a, in a, in a moment in time, is bringing life to his city, uh, as he's seeing life come to his city through the person of the Holy Spirit, he stops and he says, now the reason that you're seeing all of this happening right now is because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that's the reason why you're seeing the kingdom breaking out all over the place and why the person of the Holy Spirit is now here. Because Peter understood that the transformation that we long to see happen in the power of the Spirit is intimately connected with the reality that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. It's because he's been found irrefutably righteous and he has been exalted and he now rules and reigns above all of the powers of this dark age, uh, not, just, uh, not just in this age but in the age to come, that, uh, that the power of God, the power of the age to come is breaking in upon them and transforming them. Peter understands that and he's, he's, he's trying to articulate that. And so we have this wonderful picture, this wonderful picture as Peter begins to paint it, of Jesus uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, affirmed in his righteousness and ruling galaxies and governments with effortless supremacy and exalted authority. This is our Jesus and he's in the same place. Just effortlessly ruling. He's Oh, sorry. Oh, I ruined my joke. Oh. I need all the help I can get too. And oh, well, doesn't matter. Yeah, thanks. You just, just, yeah, that would be, that would be nice. Make me feel a little bit better. That would be great. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The kingdom laughs. We need it now. <laughs> we need it to break through. Uh, yeah, so just effortlessly ruling. Jesus is right now at this moment effortlessly ruling and reigning is what Peter's trying to explain there. So what I want to do is just do a little bit of an exercise, and I'll need your help with this. But I want to, and I'm not being patronising in this, okay? But I just need a little bit of help with this. This is an issue of perspective now. I want to ask you, where is the Father right now? Seated in heaven. Is he anywhere else? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. The Father is everywhere right now. And so if Jesus is exalted to his right hand, to the Father's right hand, where is Jesus right now? He's everywhere. And at the time when Jesus ascended, who was released into the earth, into the church? The Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? Everywhere. And here's my joke. He's like sand when you go camping at the beach. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Thank you. Woo! I had to get one in. Oh, that's better. But he is. He is. He's like sand when you go camping at the beach. You just can't get that stuff out. No matter how hard you try, it's just sand everywhere. Even in the places you don't want it, it's there. <laughs> Even when you're trying to keep it out, he's there. Even when you're trying to keep him out, he's there. He's like sand when you go camping at the beach. He is everywhere. And you know, I've, that's super helpful for me. Because what it means is that I can rest in the knowledge that I don't have to work this thing up. I don't have to work it up. He's everywhere. 
He's everywhere and he's working. Uh, Kirk read it out this morning. Uh, and that's why I'm so encouraged because it's just wonderful to be hearing that. John 5, 17. Uh, my father is always working. What that means is, is that it's inconceivable in any moment in time, regardless of what it looks like, it is inconceivable but the, that the father would not be working. Hear that this morning. It is inconceivable. The father is always at work and he is everywhere. Everywhere. And he's always working. And what that does, what that perspective does is put me at rest because it means that I don't need to pray with ever-increasing intensity. It's not about the intensity of my prayer. It's not about the intensity of my pursuit even. It's not about the intensity of anything. I don't have to try and twist his arm and leverage his generosity because I already have it. I already have it. And all I need to do is step into the, the reality that he is here and be at rest, that God, you are working. God, you are working. It's this revelation of Jesus, uh, Jesus' exaltation that brings about a revolution in us. That revolution in us means that when we walk into situations and circumstances, our eyes begin to enlarge and our heart expands because we go, the kingdom's here. The king is here. He's here. He's right in this moment. Not just here when we gather, although it kind of exponentially increases when when a bunch of his people get together. Okay, that is a reality. Okay, but it's not just about these gathered environments. It's that in our schools, in our workplaces, in our shopping centers, all over the place, in our streets, the kingdom is near and breaking in. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, there's been, and I I want you to hear this, I'm not knocking this uh, because I was taught this way too. Uh, but there's the, uh, the illustration of being like a conduit for God as, as God's kingdom is breaking through. There's nothing wrong with that, uh, but maybe one that might be a little bit maybe more helpful, particularly with this, this perspective of God being at work all over the place, is, uh, is like black light. You know what a black light is? You see those crime shows where they walk into a room and it looks like a normal room and they switch the lights off and they shine the black light and all of a sudden all of the stuff that was there that couldn't be seen by the eye, is now revealed? Well, you and I get to be his black lights because he's already at work. It's just that folks can't see it. It's, it's, not, it's not visibly visible, okay? And we, as his people, get to be his black lights pointing at it going, that's the kingdom. That's Jesus right there. You know, those, those finances that you were looking for that just showed up, that's Jesus, that, that relationship in your family life that's broken and now is beginning to mend, that's Jesus. And we get to be the black light pointing to what's going on in people's lives. And so what that means is that God isn't so much my informant. I'm not looking for a word to crack this thing open. I'm looking for what he's already doing. I'm looking for what he's already doing in the moment so that I can come with them blessing what I see him doing at work in the people around me, in my workplace, in my schools, wherever it is that I put my hands, and I get to bless what I see he's already doing. Uh, a, a lady in our, in our church back, at, uh, back in Melbourne there, uh, like I said, I've been banging on about this for a little while and they're starting to catch it. Uh, and uh, she was out one day 
and uh, she was looking after one of the other little kids from another family uh, in the life of the church. And you know, she was uh, she was just wrestling through some personal stuff that she was trying to work through. And she was out at the park with this little boy, and they were just having a nice time at the park. And uh, but you know those moments. Uh, like I'm an introvert, so you might not think that, but I am. Uh, and uh, I'm an introvert, and many of you probably are. And you know, sometimes you just need space. Sometimes you just need to be alone, especially when you're kind of processing some of that stuff. And so she was like, oh, I just, she was in the park by herself with this little boy. The little boy was playing and it's just a really nice time for her. She was having a conversation with God and she just didn't want to see anybody. <laughs> and uh, not because she didn't like people, but she just didn't want to see anybody in that moment. And a guy comes along with his little boy and she's like, oh, no. You ever feel like that? I feel like that all the time. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, okay. I just want to be alone right now. Um, and so they ended up, striking up a conversation and, uh, and somehow in the middle of that they, they began talking about uh, you know, the, the bigger things of life and, uh, in, in, and whatnot. And, uh, and in the middle of that, she, uh, uh, he said, oh, I've got to go now. My, I've got to go to the doctors. My arm is uh, there's something wrong. I can't remember exactly what it was. Something wrong with my arm. And so you know, in that place, you know, she was kind of just being kind of polite as well, you know, just trying to be polite to this guy who was talking to, to her. And she just, uh, and so she just stepped into it. She just stepped into what she saw God doing. He said, hey, can I pray for your arm? And the guy like literally like almost jumped at her. Say, yes, please pray for my arm. And, uh, and, and as they prayed, the peace of God rested on this guy. Uh, his arm felt better. And he went off to the doctors anyways, but he, he was driving off with his arm out the window waving at her uh, just because she was ready and prepared to step into what God was doing as she saw it happening. Uh, a little while ago, a phone call came through to me from, uh, from a, a, another lady in our church who's a single mum and um, just needed a hand picking up a fridge, uh, a new fridge from somebody's house. And I was like, sure, I'll come give you a hand. Uh, and... Um, so we went to this guy's house, and as we're on our way to this person's house to pick up the fridge, I was like, Lord, you're always at work. Give me eyes to see and ears to be attentive to what it is you're doing in this person's life as we go to pick up the fridge from this guy's thing. And so as I'm looking at him, I'm not looking at him going, God, give me a word. I'm looking at him going with a conversation in my heart and in my mind saying, Lord, what are you doing in this guy's life? What are you already at work doing in this guy's life? And uh, I felt like the Lord had just showed me a few things. The details aren't important. And I just shared them with him. And he goes, how did you know that? I went, oh, that's God. He loves you. And he, he wants to let you know that he's walking with you through this. And I don't know. I said something. Uh, what I said wasn't really important. But he let me pray for him. He let me pray for him. The peace of God rested on this guy. And you know what? There was no power surge. There was no sense of explosion. There was no sense of the heavens rending open and all of the glory of God being poured out. It was just in the simplicity of being available and looking for what God was doing. That's what transforms people. That's what transforms people. And so what, what I want to say following on from that is it's not the job of the church to advance the kingdom. The kingdom is already advancing. The kingdom is already advancing. If we think that we need to advance the kingdom then what we're doing is we're heaping all of that on ourselves. And if we do nothing, then nothing happens. Now, there's an element of truth to that. But to, what, to, to come out from under that and into what God is doing, our perspective needs to shift. 
And our perspective needs to shift into a place where we realize that the kingdom of God is already breaking in. And I don't need to work it up or make it happen. It's not the job of the church to advance the kingdom, but it is the job of the church to partner with God as he advances his kingdom. It's his kingdom that's advancing. It's his rule and reign that's advancing. And we get to partner with him as he does that. He's the one who's doing all of that work. The kingdom of God is already crashing in. God's good future is already recreating things. It's recreating families. It's recreating workplaces. It's recreating businesses. It's recreating bodies. Uh, God's kingdom is breaking in all around us. And so that's why we can rest. We can rest in in the knowledge that when we step into any circumstance, be it personal or for somebody else, that the kingdom of God is already there. He's already breaking in. We don't need to persuade him to break in. We don't need to persuade him to, to, to somehow leverage his generosity. He's generous and kind and good. And he's already doing this stuff. He's already doing it. I never, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the environment, I'm just going to go away from my notes for a little bit. We've become really good at polarizing the idea of the works and the words of Jesus, as if the two are separate. And we've become really good at polarizing the now and the not yet, as though the two things are separate. And we become really good at polarizing moments of abundance or seasons of blessing, as we would call them, with moments of, of, uh, of absence or seasons of, of, of perhaps pain. When the truth is that all of those things, they all come together in this one big thing called life. And the thing that holds all of those things together is the goodness of God. Is the goodness of God. Because in that place, Kirk read it out this morning. Psalm 23, David is in a place that he describes as this valley of the shadow of death. That's a nasty place to be. I don't know what, we we don't actually know the stage of life that David was talking about when he wrote that, but there was plenty, you can pick one. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of pretty nasty times in David's life. And, um, And as he writes that, He writes, in the middle of this, you prepare a table for me in the midst of my foes. In the midst of my foes. David understood that the present reality of the kingdom breaking through means that God is always up to something. 2,000 years before Jesus even said it, he understood that my father is always at work. He understood that. And he put it into practice. Now, was he putting that into practice in some kind of, you know, celebratory way? No, I don't think so. I think he was probably in a pretty dark place. It says it in the, in the psalm. But he was able to say, because he had a perspective of the kingdom of God that held on to the goodness of God in every circumstance, he knew that even in my darkest hour, in the season where it feels like there is complete and utter absence God, you must be doing something because you're good. You're good. So you must be doing something. 
It's impossible or inconceivable that he would be doing nothing. He must be doing something. And so David is reaching for that. He's reaching in for the goodness of God going, I feel an utter absence right now, but I know that there's an abundance here because you, God, are good and you're preparing a table for me in the midst of my foes. And so often we feel like because there's a foe, we feel like because there's opposition, because our circumstances aren't, you know, like seventh heaven, the show, because we're not in this place of, of, of complete and utter wonder all of the time, that we're somehow missing out on something. But it's just not true. Because in order for David to become a king, he has to, in order for him to move from being a shepherd boy to a king, he has to face Goliath. It's the way into his inheritance. The way into his inheritance is through the foe. Because you're facing a foe doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. doesn't mean that God's upset with you. It means there's an inheritance that he has for you at the other end of that. Keep working through that. Keep pushing through that season of absence, knowing that the Father is good because he has an inheritance for you. To face a foe doesn't mean anything other than God is good. God is good. And he's got something for you at the other end of that. But if we, in order to get that, we need to make sure that the adversity doesn't deter us. The adversity doesn't deter us. We keep holding on. We keep hanging on to hope. You know what hope means? Hope means extravagant and outrageous kingdom expectation. It means that if I have hope in a circumstance, it means that my expectation is centered on the reality that the kingdom of God is near and the perspective of the kingdom that says God is working in this moment and I'm going to hang on to that thing until it happens. Don't, know, don't care how long it happens. Don't care how long it takes. I'm going to hang on to this. And you know, it's really great that he's here this morning because the person who taught me that more than anybody else is Dave Hockey. Is this guy right here. He taught me that. He taught me how to live life like that. And I'm forever thankful to him for it. Because this guy, I, I know we don't tend to do this a lot, but this guy, he just keeps holding on holding on and pressing in. And he's still at the school supplying the destiny of young people just like he did for me when I was there. Through all of the stuff, through all of the moments and seasons of absence, he's kept holding on. Now, if you talk to him, you'll know that sometimes that was just by the skin of his teeth. But he keeps holding on. He keeps holding on and pressing in and pursuing the kingdom with everything that's in his, in, that he has, even if it is just a little bit, because he knows that God is good. In fact, those, those first conversations that we were having when I was just a, a dumb young footballer trying to find my way in life and it was all a bit of a mess, that was what he kept telling me. God is good. God is good. And when I walked into this place for the first time, I, I became connected with the reality that God is good. And so when we want to see kingdom breakthrough, we want to see the kingdom come, what I'm noticing, and I've done this too, and I had to walk through this, is uh, because there are a whole heap of wonderful practices that we can put in place and things that we can do in order to cultivate uh, this reality of the kingdom breaking in uh, around us. But we tend to want to go to practices, don't we? 
but it starts with a perspective because practices without the perspective, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, Jesus said there was a time, and I, let me just say this and then I'll, I'll fix it up at the end. Jesus said, uh, at the end of, at, when all of this is said and done, there'll be people who come to me and they say, but we cast out demons and we healed people and we did raise the dead. We did all of this stuff in your name. And Jesus say, away from me, you never knew me. It starts with a perspective and a relationship. If your practices aren't rooted and resting in a perspective and the relationship, reevaluate them, please. Please reevaluate them. Because the perspective and the relationship that we have with a God who's good by nature fuels and releases everything else. It's where it begins and ends. It's not only our starting point, it's the point that we, uh, we continue to, to, to navigate. But uh, well, that was a bit of a detour, sorry about that. I hope it was helpful. Uh, the, the reality that we can, we, we can, whatever environment we find ourselves in, God is always at work. This is a thing that, uh, see these, these old time guys like John Wesley and A.W. Tozer, uh, they would call this the doctrine of provenient grace. Now, you may be familiar with that. If you're not, uh, simply what, uh, what the doctrine of provenient grace is, it simply means that God sets you up for success. He's constantly going before us and he's pouring out his grace. He's pouring out his grace into people's lives, into everybody around us, and he's constantly pouring out his grace into every moment, into every circumstance. And what we do is we begin to respond to the grace that he's already pouring out. That's what the kingdom life looks like. The kingdom life looks like looking for where his grace is at work, blessing it and stepping into it. He's always at work and he's always pouring out his grace. He constantly goes ahead of us doing these things. And so what that means, now I, I heard a guy named Alan Scott say this and the first time I heard him say it, I was running with my dog Bear and I literally stopped running because I was kind of shocked that a vineyard pastor could say this. It rattled me, but then he... He sorted, sorted it out afterwards. So I say that because it's going to rattle you, possibly. Uh, and that is that um, the central message of Jesus wasn't the kingdom of God. The central message of Jesus wasn't the kingdom of God. The central message of Jesus was the kingdom of God is near. And those two words make all the difference. Without those two words, I can theologize, I can create a concept, I can wrap my head around an idea of the kingdom. But Jesus didn't do that. He said the kingdom of God is near and then he demonstrated it. He showed people the reality of the kingdom that was already at hand and that he had come to bring. The kingdom of God is near. Feel better? <laughs> I know I did because I heard him say that and I literally, I stopped. I went, you can't say that. That's the very, that's everything. He said, no, no, the kingdom of God is near. And I went, oh, wow. That's big. That's big. And so we don't necessarily bring the kingdom. I know that's, that's really popular language today, you know, that we bring the kingdom, we release the kingdom. And there's an element of truth to that. Uh, and, and I don't want to upset anybody. Uh, but we don't necessarily bring the kingdom we partner with God with what he's already doing. And that's how that happens. 
But if we don't have that perspective, we think that we do it all. We think that somehow I laid my hands on somebody and there's an element of truth that when I did that, somebody was healed. And that's wonderful, but I didn't, you know, I think that was one of the wonderful things that came out of the, was it 12 or 18 months or however long it was that the, uh, the, the first guys in the, in the vineyard were trying to work out how does this prayer thing work for healing and they, nobody got healed and they said, what did you learn after all that time? He said, we learned that we can heal anybody. We can't heal anybody. It's God who does it all and we just partner with him as he does it. It's his gracious love and and, an exceptional joy that he's pouring out into every human heart. It's this exceptional joy. We sung about it this morning. It's this exceptional joy that's in his heart for every human, for every person on the face of the planet, that his grace is constantly moving towards them. For us, in this place, we've responded to that grace. For others, they may not have even recognized it. But he is always orchestrating circumstances and moving in environments, drawing people to himself, desiring to release life and hope and joy. That's his MO. That's what he does. He did it for me. He did it for you. And he's constantly doing it. He can't not do it. That's why he's always working. And the nature in which he's always working is he's always releasing his grace. He's always pouring out his grace and his life and his love and his joy into people's lives, into your life and my life. The Father is always working. And what that means is that whenever I'm in a circumstance, whenever I'm in a, a situation with somebody and I get to, like the guy where we went to pick up the fridge, my voice is the second voice. His voice is always the first voice because he's already speaking to that person. He's already communicating with that person. That's why, that's why I don't particularly like the language of we bring the kingdom or we release the kingdom because God is already doing something. He's already speaking to that person and my voice is not the first voice. My voice is the second voice. God's voice is always the first voice. So when we speak to that person at work or begin to engage with a problem that we have in our workplaces, he's already speaking. When we're speaking to that, that uh, the mum at school who's just struggling with the, the realities of parenthood and motherhood and raising children, God is already speaking. When we're at the shops and we're picking up our groceries, the person who's, who's working at the checkout there, I got in trouble a little while ago because I said checkout chick, and apparently you're not allowed to say that anymore, but anyways, um, the person who's doing the checking out, this is just a long way of saying it, isn't it? Sorry. That's my thing. But when we're in that place, God's voice is always the first one. He's already speaking to that person. When you leave here today and wherever you go, everybody who you see, God is already speaking to them. We don't have a market on the voice of God in the church. We don't have a market on that. He's already speaking to everybody. And our job and our privilege and our honor becomes, Lord, what are you saying? Because I want to get in on what you're doing. I remember that so clearly, so clearly. The very first time that Big D over there came up and Dave came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, come with me. And I thought I was in trouble. And he said, come with me. And Dre, I was like 18. And he dragged me down the, down the front and he said, put your hand here as 
ministry was going on and I, I, I got involved and that just blew my doors off. And I was just hungry to get into everything after that. Because I was like, God's doing stuff here. I didn't do anything, I just got to be part of it. I got to be part of what God was already doing in that person. And it was a wonderful privilege, a wonderful honour. But our job becomes one of compassion and surrender. Our job becomes one of compassion and surrender. It's compassion as we feel the heart of the Father for the person that's in front of us. It's compassion that pulls us forward. It's compassion that draws us in. It's the love of God that compels us, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of God compels us to reach forward to somebody's, somebody who's in front of us because we feel the heart of the Father for that person in that moment and in that circumstance and we reach in feeling the heart of the Father. It's not, it, it doesn't have to be like you know some grossly emotional experience where you're bawling your eyes. It might be. I know Trent cries a lot and I love that. I love it. I know that he's prophesying the very heart of God because I see tears running down his face. Not like if there's not tears, he's not. But, you know, it's, it's just a reality, isn't it? He's, he's moved by the compassionate heart of God. But it doesn't have, you don't have to be a blubbering mess in front of every, anybody, but it's, it's capturing the heart of the Father. It's seeing the heart of the Father that's pressed in the grace that's already extended towards somebody. And so our job becomes a work of compassion. It becomes a work of surrender. Surrender as we surrender to the fact that, oh, I might look stupid. Oh, this might be foolish. Oh, okay, I just want to be alone right now. Ever felt like that? You liars, you do too. Yeah, you do. We all do. It's okay. It's okay. Surrender is this thing of submitting and engaging with what we see the Father doing in the people's lives around us. And so when we do this, when we begin to do this and engage in this way, what we're doing uh, in allowing our perspective to be shaped by the kingdom and our responses to be then shaped by what we see happening, we're training ourselves to respond to what we see the Father doing. We're training our senses to what the Father is doing all around us in any given moment at any given time. Because it's inconceivable that he would be doing nothing, right? Right? He's always working. He's always working. And so what we're trying to do is train our senses to be aware and attentive to that all of the time. And learning to be people with outrageous compassion and mercy who will probably get sworn at for extending this, by the way. That doesn't mean that it's all going to go swimmingly. Not everybody's going to receive it with love. Jesus did that. Jesus experienced that, didn't he? He healed 10 lepers and only one came back. It's just what happens. Not everybody's going to like this. Not everybody's going to be responsive to this. But our job is to be moved by the heart of God. And, uh, and so we, we, we begin to look for that. Okay, we'll get to where, where, uh, where I wanted to get to. Ephesians 4.10, if you've got your, your Bibles or your apps, Ephesians, uh, sorry, 4.10, I said, didn't I? I just said 5, sorry. 4.10 says that uh, the one who, uh, Jesus, who descended is also the one who ascended in order that he could fill all things. Now, um, I'm working out of the ESV, but if somebody got an NIV, what does that last word say? Not all things? What, what is To fill the whole universe. To fill the whole universe. It was inconceivable for Paul 
that Jesus would not be filling the whole universe all of the time. It's the very reason that he descended, that he died, that he rose again and that he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. The very purpose of the ascension of Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father right now in this moment where we live in 2016 here in Pine Rivers, Queensland is so that he could fill everything like sand at the beach when you go camping at the beach. He's in everything. It was inconceivable for Paul that he would, that, that would be any different. He cannot do nothing. Jesus is not doing nothing. He is always at work and he is always filling all things. This is an expansive reality. The very nature of the kingdom of God is expansive. It never is restricted to just a building or a group of people. This is for all of humanity. All of humanity. This is what you know. the disciples came to Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. He said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus said, oh, you guys still don't get it. You guys still don't get it. This is not about overthrowing the Romans. This is not about getting the government that we want. This is not about instituting the rule of the church. This is about instituting the rule of love and the rule of grace and the rule of mercy that says it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or where where you've come from, you're loved and you're accepted and Jesus wants you and every other human heart part of this wonderful community that he calls his bride. That's the heart of the Father. And what's interesting, if, if, if our perspective isn't shaped by that reality, what actually begins to happen, and you would have noticed it, we actually begin to pray. If we don't realize that he's already broken in and that he's already breaking through, we begin to pray as though he hasn't. We begin to pray as though he hasn't. And I hear this all of the time, you know, folks wanting to tear things down and go over here and do this. And I'm like, but what's the Father doing? What's Jesus doing right now? Maybe he is doing that. (laughs) And then it would be smart to do what he says. But when that's all that's coming out of us, I don't think that that's what rests in his heart. He's wanting to reach forward to people. Yes, he's wanting to destroy the works of the enemy. John said that. Uh, that the very reason that Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And he is doing that. But the nature in which he's doing that is by love, grace, mercy, and compassion as he reaches towards people, bringing his generous life and hope. That's how he does that. That's how he's doing that. That's how he's always been doing that. And so what happens when we begin to pray that way, our perspective is shaped that way, we begin... Sorry, I've lost my spot. That's right. When our, when our perspective is shaped that way, we begin to understand that the transformation that we long to see is closer than the darkness that we so often fear. It's closer. God is closer than the darkness that we so often fear. I find it amazing. I've seen people all of the time, we, sometimes we have, and I'm not saying that you guys do, but uh, you might have recognized this. You have this perspective that somebody could go to a seance, be in that seance, get instantly demonized, and it'll take us hours to get the demon out, 
Yet somebody could walk into a church service like this and nothing happen. It's just not true. It's just not true. As soon as we come close to God, He comes all over us. He comes all over us with His love and with His grace. And that reality is so much stronger than anything else. Anything else. And so as we travel this, this thing and we, we begin to have our perspective shaped and transformed as we begin to live our lives within the community of our people in the earth here in Pine Rivers, as you go to work, as you pick your kids up from school, as you're engaging at different places and opportunities and sporting clubs and whatnot, what, what's beginning to happen as our perspective is shaped uh, by the reality that his kingdom is near and at hand is that we're not so much pursuing signs and wonders, but we are expecting them. I expect signs and wonders. I expect that God will heal people here this morning. I expect that God will break through with incredible realities in people's circumstances and environments. I expect that, but I'm not pursuing it. I'm pursuing Him. I'm pursuing his grace. I'm pursuing what he's doing. And my vision isn't impaired by, I need to get something to happen. I don't need to get anything to happen because there's already something happening. And so the simplicity of just partnering with him as he does that. A guy named Gregory of Nyssa who was a, a third, fourth century uh, Cappadocian bishop. He was actually at the, at the Council of Nicaea that came up with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, this guy, uh, Gregory, he's a brilliant man. Uh, but he said this thing, and I don't have it on the slide, sorry, because it's not even on my notes. It just popped into my head, so I'm going to say it. He said this thing, this amazing, wonderful thing. He said, uh, concepts and ideas create idols. Only wonder grasps anything. It's wonder. It's wonder at the nature of who God is. It's wonder at how far God has brought us to this point. It's the wonder of the fact that He is moving all of the time in every place. It's wonder. And so the question I have for you this morning is, where's your wonder? Where's your wonder? Have you been, and you may have been, you know, just giving yourself over and over to practices and processes of how do we get this kingdom thing to happen. You may have been in that place and, uh, and, and so you, you may even be seeing lots and lots of signs and wonders without wonder. As soon as we lose the wonder, we lose the life. Because I remember the very first person I ever got saw get healed and it was a person with cancer right here in this building. And there was no flash, there was no pomp, there was no power surge, there was no nothing. It was very, very ordinary, if anything. And then the guy comes back and says, I, I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but he was cancer riddled to the point where it was, uh, now I, I might need some help here. It was, uh, it was terminal, wasn't it? And he basically, he'd come to Australia to be with his sister before, that's right, before it was all over because she was the only family that she had and she happened to be a part of, member of, the, of this church at the time. And he went in for his, I think it was his first day, wasn't it? First day of going into the hospital here in Brisbane, flown from the UK. 
terminal cancer. He flew in and they took all the scans. Nothing. First person I ever saw get healed. (laughs) I'm still in awe of that. I'm still in wonder of that. Whether it's something that big or whether it's as simple as, hey, I need 10 bucks. Oh, look, there's 10 bucks. That's a real wonder for me, actually. (laughs) Almost on the same scale. But... (laughs) Oh, dear. But it's true. It's wonder. It's the wonder of what God is doing all around us at any given time. Now, for some of you, you may have lost that wonder. For some of you, it may have been a sense of just grinding and grinding through life. For some of you, it may be feeling like even right now, you're walking through a season of absence. A season of great absence, where you feel like God is not near. Where you feel like the weight of life and even the darkness is pressing against you. And you're finding it really hard just to even say, you set a table before me in front of my foes. Because you're not seeing the food. You're not seeing the table. And you may be feeling like that. This we're gonna I think we're gonna do some ministry time soon, but you're not less because of that. I need you to hear that. You're not less and you're not doing something wrong. There's an inheritance that God has for you, and He's wanting to pour it out. And he's wanting to bring it through the feeling, through that time of absence. He is bringing it. 